stirring. Let's all stand together, shall we? As our campuses join us via live video stream over in Stevens Point and Appleton. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated again. It's good to have our guys over in Point and Appleton joining with us this morning as well. Good morning to you guys. Hope that you're having a great service. Uh, you'll notice that we just took uh, our normal uh, offering. Usually we wait to the end of the service, but we did it earlier because this is Mission Sunday. We decided we'd like to separate and do a more separate offering for the missions, a little bit more focus and attention given to that. So uh, we'll be having that in place of our regular offering. Uh, it's just extra money. You give your normal amount of money, and this is above and beyond. Money that you want to give to help proclaim and push the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. That money is specifically going to uh, missions, foreign missions, and home missions as well. I want to do an uh, update with our Go Beyond campaign. Our goal to reach $1.2 million. Where are we at? Appleton is now up to 70,000. Stevens Point, 122,000. Green Bay, 722,000. Grand total of $916,000. Praise God. <laughs> Almost there. Not quite there yet, but hang in there with us as we continue to raise these funds uh, as, as we've done over the last two years. And if you'll reflect back, there's been a lot of changes. We've been able to pay down on some debt. Uh, in the organization and uh, help uh, fund uh, missions, outreaches, and improve our communications ability. Uh, now we're able to stream live in high definition to our campuses as well as online around the world. And all of that is made possible because of your help to say, yeah, we're going to go above and beyond so that we can reach more people with the message of Jesus. And we appreciate your faithfulness in that. Uh, this morning, am I forgetting anything else? Oh, thank you. I knew there was something. Uh, we have another change. Can't imagine us changing anything at this church, but uh, doing another. We just recently changed our services from 8.30 and 10.30 to 9 and 10.45. Uh, we thought we'd need the extra time for the second service, transitioning from one service to the other. Turns out we don't need the extra time, so we're staying at 9, but we're moving this back to 10.30. We're up to 10.30, so... Anyway, it's all confusing. That'll start May 3rd, first Sunday in May. So hang in there with us. Uh, although you can pretend it's 1030 and be here 15 minutes late like normal and be on time. So that would be really nice. <laughs> We're so terrible. Uh, so anyway, that's what, you know, and it, it's just we don't need the extra time and we'll just get out here sooner, which will be much more important in the fall because we don't want to run into kickoff time, God forbid. Praise God. Praise God. Allows the pastor time to get to the stadium. Hallelujah. That's the important thing here. Have I hit everything now? I have. Okay. 
Um, I started a series uh, a few weeks back called Faith 101, hence the graduation theme music coming this morning. But we're dealing with basic instructions on basic Christianity, fundamental Christianity. Uh, for some of us, this is so basic, it's overkill, but you've got to talk about these things because it's amazing how long that you'll go because new people keep coming in, our kids grow up, and they start missing some of the most key fundamental elements of the Christian experience, and it's a big deal. They stumble over it, uh, some of them rather severely. One of them that we, uh, we started talking about that we're going to pick up on again to this morning is the idea, you know, why does God let bad things happen? And as I shared in the first series, God doesn't make bad things happen. Not everything that happens is God. Now, in the Old Testament, everything that happened was God. If you sneezed, it was God. I mean, everything was God to these people. Very simplistic understanding of God. Uh, when Jesus came, he started to delineate and let them know not everything is uh, God doing things. There is God in the earth. There's also Satan in the earth. One of the ways you can really tell is if something's unusually good and wonderful, we consider it a blessing from God. If something's really terrible and horrible, we consider it to be evil. There's a lot of evil in the world today, and there's always something, but it's not God. Why did God let those, those planes fly into the Twin Towers? It wasn't God. That was evil. Why is God letting these people kill Christians and cut off their heads and stuff? That isn't God. That's evil. There's evil in the world, and there's good in the world. Jesus tried to explain it. In John, the 10th chapter, he said, look, the thief, talking about Satan, comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. If you see something where there's killing, stealing, and destroying, who is that? Okay, that's not God. Jesus, I've come to give you life. And then you can have it to the full. Other translations say more abundantly. Jesus came to give us life. That's why he's, that's what I've come for. And, uh, and not uh, Satan who brings death. Now, this is really fundamental for people because it's just stunning how many people struggle over this idea. Why did God do this? Why did God let this happen? Why did God let my cat get run over? Because you let the cat out of the house. That's why. It had nothing to do with God. And I'm stunned, and especially this really struggles with young people. Teens, even in their 20s, they're just devastated when something bad, anything happens to them. They all blame God. <laughs> why did God let my boyfriend break up with me? Why, God, why? <laughs> it wasn't God. Might be you're emotionally exhausting and couldn't take it anymore. I don't know. It wasn't God. No, we pointing. And by the way, a little respect to God, okay? I know there's people who I've heard for years, you know, it's okay to get mad at God. Oh, God, just be honest with God, yell and scream at God. Really, I do not subscribe to this thinking. I'm thinking a little respect, okay? The Bible calls it the fear of God. Not that you have to be afraid in a bad way, but some respect, you know? Don't be yelling and screaming at God. He could, if he wanted to, to you. So, you know, you don't have to be yelling. If you understand these things, you don't get mad at God. But it's crazy thinking. It's permeated everywhere. I get people outside the Christian faith not getting this. What I'm stunned is how many people in the Christian faith don't understand what I just said. And after speaking about it, someone last week came to me, a sweet lady, said, why, why does God let these bad things happen? I was like, hello. It's not God. Okay? Not everything that's happened is God. God has not predestined in advance everything to happen. 
Now, there are people who believe God does, in fact, predestine everything to happen ahead of time. I think they're wrong. I couldn't help that. I was predestined to say that. <laughs> if you follow their logic, I couldn't help myself. You know, it makes no sense. And why would you pray? And, I, and I'm telling you, I think one of the reasons that some of you struggle praying and reading your Bible and doing other things, because you think it doesn't matter. Well, if really God's got control, why would I pray? If God's already going to do something, why would I pray? When you start re realizing, hey, you can ask God to intervene in the affairs of your life. When you really understand that God can change what's happening in your life, then you pray. And it's not a struggle to pray. But when you got this crazy thing in your head where God just does everything, why would you pray? That's why a lot of you don't pray. Oh, God's going to do everything. No. God doesn't do everything. There is Satan, there is God, and there's a big bunch in the middle called people. And the big determining factor in what you get out of life is found in one very simple truth. You will reap what you sow. Straight up. Say, I don't believe that. Doesn't matter what you believe. There's some truths I love. There's some things you got to believe and have faith to experience. There's other things that are so strong, it doesn't matter if you believe them or not. It's like gravity. I don't believe in gravity. Really? <laughs> Step off the roof for a minute. It doesn't matter. Whether you believe, you can say, oh, I don't believe in gravity. There's no such thing as holding us down on the ground. You can say it all day long. And I promise you, whether you believe it or not, I love these truths that supersede faith itself. Whether you believe it, you will reap what you sow. That's why we do church, to try and instruct you. This is why you want to do life this way. You know, and I talk about things about what to do, what not to do. Half of you don't listen to me, I know, because you talk to me later, and I hear you don't listen to me. I, say, oh, I know, you say we shouldn't, but it's no big deal. Yeah, that's why your life stinks. Because why does my life stink? Because you're doing stinking things. And I'm telling you, we're having a hard time in America. There's a huge disconnect between what you do and what you get today. People have no idea why they have what they have. It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my friend's fault. It's the government's fault. The government should fix everything. Oh, there's a good answer. <laughs> good Lord, they can't even run a website. I don't know why life's so bad. Why is my life so bad? And they, I'm, tell, I'm not exaggerating. I'm sure you all know these people. We all have a few in each family that are clueless, absolutely clueless. They have no idea. <laughs> why did I get a B? <laughs> why did God give me a B? God didn't give you a B. You got the B because you didn't do A work. It's just that simple. Me blaming God. Personally, I would have been thrilled with a B. School was not one of my greater strengths in life, I have to tell you. Couldn't focus more than 10 seconds on anything. God, well, God did this. Why did God do that? Why did it stop it? For, and it's always the bad stuff. You know, something good happens. Man, were we lucky? Really? Oh, man, I was so lucky. I won the lottery. Oh, I was so lucky. Something bad happens. Why did God do that? Oh, my gosh. It's like I think the devil walks up, punches you in the face, and then whispers, God did that to you. <laughs> Punch you in the face. God did that to you. Stop. Honestly. Simple rule. Something unusually good happens. We call it a blessing. It's a likely gift from God. Something unusually evil, we attribute it to the work of Satan. But there's a whole lot of in between. It's called free will. It's called reaping what you sow. Your life, everything that happens in your life is not already predestined and locked into stone. 
What's going to happen in your life a year from today will determine greatly on what you do today. What will happen in your life five years from today will depend greatly on what you do today. We talk about this, you know, your finances. You want to have good finances? People who have good finances do it on purpose. It doesn't happen magically. Everybody's waiting for their, sh their ship to come in. You know, you want a good marriage? You get it on purpose. It's not about finding the right idiot to marry. <laughs> you want to do the best you can. <laughs> but you do it on purpose. Life is intentional. Everybody's like, oh, I'm so unlucky. It's not my fault. It's so unfair. Ah. Now, does God have things that he predestines? He does, in fact. There are times when God will, in fact, predestine that something will happen. Well, God can do anything he wants, and he does it to advance his purpose and for his kingdom. Uh, you must to assume that in your life, unless God's doing something really dramatic in your life, push you in a certain direction, that these are a matter of what you choose to do. That's why you want to choose well. All right, we've been studying on Wednesday night. You really want to understand the Bible? You should come on Wednesday night. Don't complain I don't understand the Bible. You sit at home watching TV, okay? Come here. We go through the Bible on Wednesday and get it into detail. Not these little mini sermons I give you on Sunday morning, but we get into it. And we spend 45 minutes going in detail and really looking at the scriptures, one verse at a time, putting it all in context, helping you understand stuff. You understand the Bible? Get your butt into church on Wednesday night, and we'll help you understand it. You do it consistently. You know what? A year from now, you'll know more about the Bible. You know why? Because it depends on what you do this week. Are you following me? All right, looking at me like I'm from Chicago. <laughs> I don't know why I say these things. Okay, what was I talking about? Okay, so on Wednesday night, we were talking about how we're reading the book of Ezra and how uh, King Cyrus decides to send the Jews back to Jerusalem so they can rebuild the city and stuff. Why? In preparation for the Messiah, because when Jesus came, it was all there. It wasn't there a few hundred years before that. And the prophet Isaiah had prophesied 150 years before that, that it would happen. And he had, this is one of the most amazing prophecies in the Bible. He literally names the guy by name. You can read it in Isaiah. In fact, it's so stunning, doubters of the Bible think, oh, they stuck that in later. They didn't stuck it in later. And they can find uh, documents that prove it wasn't done later, but they still try to explain it away. Here's the amazing thing. He said, I am going to send my servant Cyrus, and I will bless him, and nothing will be able to hold him back, and Cyrus, he named him like three or four times in a row, will set up and allow Jerusalem to be rebuilt again. Amazingly, 150 years ago, here comes this king named Cyrus, not Miley. <laughs> Cyrus names him by name 150 years before he's even born. Now, that I would call predestined, all right, kind of locked in stone. So there are things, Jesus coming was predestined. Oh, there's, there's stuff that has happened, stuff that's yet going to happen. That is locked in stone. But by and large, large what happens to your life is going to be based on you reaping what you sow, based on the decisions you make. That's why we encourage you to come to church so we can help you make good decisions to enrich your life. Now, here's the radical thing about it. Not only does God not do everything, not even everything in the Bible was God. There's stuff people in the Bible, they're just crazy people. Why God do that? God didn't do that. Now, one of, the, one of the great examples is found in Judges, the 11th chapter. And actually, the whole book of Judges is full of crazy people doing crazy things. But here we are in Judges, the 11th chapter. And verse 1, we read here about Jephthah the Gileadite. He was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. 
Then we read about Gilead's wife. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So Gilead, despite being married, had a tryst with the lady that he shouldn't have been having. So Gilead's wife also bore him two sons. When they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family. Get out of here. You're the son of another woman. So as you can imagine, he was rejected. Wasn't his fault. He's just a kid. He grows up, everybody hates him. And his family drives him away. His whole city, actually, we read later. They drive him away because he's, you know, not welcome and, uh, because of his background and whatever. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, Tob, whatever, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. So basically what happens is Jephthah becomes a gang leader <laughs> in modern day terminology. He's just a bad dude and he's tough and he's strong. Everybody's afraid of him and he's mad. He's got a bad attitude. Why? His life stinks. Not any fault of his own. Everybody hates him. They make him chase off. So he surrounds himself by a bunch of scoundrels and scoundrels do scoundrelly things. Whatever that means. All right. Now sometime later when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, Elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob and said, come, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. So what happens is they're freaking out. The Ammonites are attacking. They don't have much of an army and they don't have really anyone who has any strength or determination who could lead the army. The only one with any cojones around is Jephthah. So they go to him and they ask him to come and take the army and lead it into battle. Well, if you read it, Jephthah gives them a hard time, as you imagine you would do. Why do you want me now? You didn't want me before. You chased me away before. What about this? How do I know you're not going to rip me off once I help you succeed? So they get in all this stuff to make promises to him and everything. So finally, Jephthah says, okay. So this bad dude, tough, gnarly guy, who everybody respected just because he was so strong and overbearing, becomes the commander of the army. And we read verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah, which was allowed him to greatly succeed. Now, this is not because Jephthah is a good man. He is a scoundrel and the leader of scoundrels. He's not a particularly devout man. Uh, you know, there's no record here that God ever spoke to him or any of those kind of things. It's just that God was using him, like God used Cyrus that we just talked about to, to bring back the people of Israel into the promised land. In fact, that prophecy says, I I will so bless him and use him in such a mighty way and he won't even know who I am. He doesn't even know my name. Even people who don't even know God, God can use in a mighty way. I think God frequently uses people uh, to do incredible things to help others that maybe aren't, don't know God at all in their lives. Because God's God. He's sovereign. He can do anything he wants. And it's rather powerful. I, I was talking in the first service about, you know, like in World War II, I think God used guys like General Patton to help defeat the Nazis. He was a, he was a machine, that guy. He succeeded far above anybody, anybody could think he could do. Was he a particularly devout man? He was not. Quite frankly, he was a bit of a scoundrel himself. And he got himself in all kinds of trouble because <laughs> he was so mean. <laughs> and uh, his version of faith is he thought he was a reincarnated warrior from a previous era. Okay, so not exactly your local Sunday school teacher. But I think God used him. God uses all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And so that's all that's happening here. So God's going to use this guy to fight back this army. So 
He goes out, he crosses Gilead, Manasseh passes through Zippah Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. He's kicking butt, taking names, going in for these battles, getting ready to take these guys on. And then he says, and the Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. God, I swear to you, which by the way, you should not do. Don't be making promises. Oh God, if you do this, I'll do that. You're not supposed to do that. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're going to do something, do it. Don't need, I swear, you don't be swearing by heaven or any of that other kind of nonsense. All right, another Bible 101 for you. But anyway, this guy, I swear to you, God, because they did this in the Old Testament. And this is what he swears. If you give me the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Really? The first thing I see walking out of my house, my tent, when I get back, I will toast it to God. Now, I find this a little entertaining, personally. Who do you think he expected to walk out of his tent? A goat? Who do you think? The wife. His wife. Why do you think, God, help me win, and I'll toast the old man? That's literally what he's saying. Oh, it couldn't be. It could. Yes, it could, because you don't understand. These guys did these things. And I always kind of, you know, look, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I read some of these, you know, commentators. They try to explain this away. Well, what he really, he didn't really sacrifice. What he did was this, a hogwash. This is exactly what he did. That's what they did. These people were out of control. That's why Moses specifically told them. Let me find this. this Leviticus 18.21. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch. This is one of those gods. For you must not profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Psalm 106, David, hundreds of years later, starts talking about what these guys did. He said, we have sinned even as our ancestors did. We've done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought of your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the Sea of Seas. And he gets real specific talking about the nasty things they did. Verse 36, it says, They worshiped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to false gods. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was desecrated by their blood. These people were nasty people. And he's talking about the Jews here who did this. They got in, and they got so caught up by the culture around them. And I'm telling you, to this day, it's a danger of anybody who trusts in God. The challenge is to live a life of faith and not get sucked in by the crazy all around us and start acting and thinking like the pagan culture that surrounds us. And that they were always getting sucked into this stuff. And they, were now, they got affected by these cultures that were horrible, terrible cultures. And sometimes you know, people look at the Old Testament and people say, you know, why, why did God tell them to go kill all those people? Why is God a, God, is God a killer? And they don't understand these were mean, nasty people. They were like the ISIS of the day. No one thinks, gee, let's invade France. Well, maybe. But not, but not ISIS. I mean, yeah, let's go get ISIS because, everything, because they're bad, evil. These people were horrible, evil people. These weren't people from Iowa. <laughs> maybe Minnesota, but not Iowa. So when you read about why did God, and you'll get that. And you young people, as you get out of here and you'll go on your own, you go to college and stuff, you'll have pagan professors and stuff that'll stick the Bible in your face and give you a hard time. Why'd God do that? And why did God do this? And he, he killed all these people. First, I have no idea of the context in the first place. My best answer to you is remember, we're Christians. We talk about the New Testament. Some guy pulls something weird out of the Old Testament, asks you to explain it, just say, I don't know, talk to a rabbi. 
Seriously. They'll figure it out. It's their deal. They're the Jews of the Old Testament. I will talk, let's talk about Jesus. Then they don't want to do that. They want to find these strange. Because here's one of these weird things in the Bible that I'm about to get to here. So let's go back. He says, God, help me. And, and I'll toast whatever comes out of my house. And, <laughs> which I think he means his wife. Uh, so anyway, then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites. And the Lord gave them into his hands. Well, everything was the Lord to these people. You sneezed, it was the Lord. He devastated 20 towns from Ar to the vicinity of Mineth as far as whatever. Thus, Israel subdued Ammon. So he won. He goes out. He wipes out 20 towns. He is a serious butt kicker. And God is using this strange, very rascally man to help the people. And he does. So when Jephthah returns to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sound of the timbrels. She was an only child except for her. He had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he freaks out. He tears his clothes. He cries, oh, no, my daughter, you brought me down and I'm devastated. I've made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. And you'll get people telling you, why did God do that? God didn't do that. This idiot did that. God had nothing to do with it. Not everything is God, and not even everything in the Bible you read is God. You got to pay attention. Look what you're reading. This guy, based on his own craziness, because he's affected by the pagan cultures around him, thought this is what God wanted was to sacrifice our children or sacrifice people. Seriously, they were so dysfunctional, so out of it. Even though God would move on their behalf and pull them out of the fire from time to time, they were a mess. It's eventually why God brought such devastation and judgment on them. Anyway... So in their pagan culture, so the girl says, so he says, I'm sorry, I got to fry you now. And the girl says, hey, pops, you've given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'd be saying, you're crazy. And I'd run for it. Right? I'm out of there. But now she's a good daughter. Okay, that's what you said. I mean, that's how dysfunctional they were. They were actually comfortable. This is how crazy it was. The, in our thinking, it is so bizarre, it's, it's repulsive even to talk about this. But they were so caught up in the poison of these countries that God told them to destroy, which they didn't finish off doing, and they got caught up in this nonsense, that it actually became part of their culture. Well, if you were going to get sacrifices as living sacrifice, oh, okay. So she, oh, okay. Okay, well, I, I guess that's, that's what you got to do. Uh, just, just give me one request. Verse 37. Uh, give me one request. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. Now I know you girls are obsessed about weddings. But when someone's going to fry you, the thing to be upset about is not that you can't get married. Very dysfunctional. So that's what happened. So she goes and she cries for her friends, oh, I'll never get married. Then goes home and he fries her. It's one of these radical things in the Bible that you read about. And again, people love to find these Old Testament things and shove them in your face and try and mess with your faith, especially you young people. But don't listen to them. We're not under the obligation to explain the Old Testament to people. Tell them to go talk to a rabbi, number one. But just have to understand, if you look closely at it, not everything was God, not even when it was in the Bible, and they were using the name of God. He's claiming the name of the Lord. Lord, I'm going to please you by sacrificing a human sacrifice. This is pure, unadulterated dysfunction. God had nothing to do with it. Remember, what happens is a matter of choice. Let me say it again. How your life will be a year from now, 
will depend on what you do today. What it'll be like five years, ten years, is how you do it now. It is what it is. People think, well, it doesn't matter how I live. God will bless me anyway. That's not how it works. We need to do the right things. Avoid the bad things. We talk about that too. Don't do these things. It's bad for you. It's destructive. It'll bring a lot of pain into your life. It's not that we're moralistic, freak-out people because we can't, oh. You get into that stuff, it'll hurt you. So listen to what we tell you and instruct you. The scriptures, live a good life. Do the right things. Love God with all your heart. Serve your neighbor. Get connected in the kingdom of God. If you will follow him, remember Jesus said, I have come so that they might have life and they can have it more abundantly. You want a good, abundant life, you need to follow his instruction. Do what he says. Live according to his principles. It will change you and it will bless your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, help us to understand we reap what we sow. Everything is not already predestined in a box where we have no choice. We do have choice. It's called free will. Help us to choose well. Help us to choose life. As oftentimes throughout the scriptures, you encourage us, choose life. Do the right thing. Lord, so that we can be greatly blessed. And help us, Lord, and people to understand that when things go badly in their lives, it is not you doing bad things. Because, God, you don't do bad things. Help us to be strong in our faith, solid in our faith, so we don't let these things disturb us and rob us of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Amen.